ott van még Nikolic, Nígó felé, Nígó helyzetben, gól! Gól! Nígó kiegyenlít! Bravo Loik, bravo Lolikám, Lajos, szép gól volt! Sallai, azon mellett még el tudjuk hozni. Sőt, Szoboszlai kap labdát. Szoboszlai előtte Nikolic bent középült könyves. Szoboszlai, könyves szép helyet csinált neki. Szoboszlai lő, gól! Sziasztok! Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Hungarian Football Cup podcast. And this episode is a fantastic episode, let me assure you, because Hungary are the best team in the world. Official. Beating England 4-0 in their back garden is uh, for sure propelling us into that spot. Um, to discuss that, and everything else around in this nation league and whatever else pops up is Tom Mortimer, as always. Tom, hi. Hello, Mr. Gabby. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I am broadcasting today from cloud nine because I am yet to come down from it, from that magnificent performance in Wolverhampton, which rolls off the Hungarian tongue very nicely. Um, Joining us as well is one of the original contributors to the podcast, and it's David Asboff. David, pleasure to have you back sir gents what a great occasion to have me back I, you know what it was it is it's one of those hundreds of years have passed and you know only special occasions like this would merit getting you out of the cupboard and back again and i'm glad that hungary performed knowing that that was on their shoulders and here you are so guys let's go back to the 4th of june it was a boiling hot day in Hungary eventually when uh, England came over to walk away with three points really easy win and uh, it didn't quite go to plan Tom no they were met by loads of squeaking and squawking children um, who created pretty amazing atmosphere to be honest 40,000 of them packed into the Puskás Arena to have what was going to be the day of their lives and it was probably probably exceeded that. I, it's going to be a day that they will never, ever forget. Um, a time where they went with all their mates or their mates from football uh, or, or, or whether it was from school or another sporting arena or whatever, wherever they were from, like a youth club or something. Junior, like junior bidders. <laughs> Don't. We were told not to speak about politics on this show. Ah, by, and, and how long did it take? Two or three minutes? <laughs> Wait, who, who told you that? Um, the powers that be. Not, not not Victor Orban or anyone like him, to be honest. It's just a guy on Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, I'm really giddy. Um, but yeah, so... They, they, oh, God, they knocked me off my say. Young, young Fidesz. I'm for goodness, sorry. For I'm goodness sorry. sake. Anyway, they were having the time of their lives and... Dominic Soboslai sent them to, uh, you say cloud nine there, they might have gone to cloud 10 or, or 11 or 12, like out of the stratosphere and into into space. Like it was, yeah, an amazing day that was. I mean, it was soon to get 
much better than that a few days later. But like um, to to perform the way we did in that game was was so so encouraging. Like and and I know I'm going to caveat a lot of this conversation throughout this hour or so with motivation. Like Hungary were a lot more motivated for these games than the teams that they were playing. They played their best team pretty much what was available to Marco Rossi every single time. Whereas that wasn't the case with the other teams that were played. But England, especially in that first game, played, I think, near enough to full strength. And there were times, in the, especially in the second half, where Hungary were dominating the game. Like, England was sitting back and it was Hungary who were, who were pressing and doing, uh, yeah, making the 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 game of it really like it's usually Hungary sitting deep especially what we saw in the Euros last summer and and us looking to counter and uh, and feed off scraps up top of feed off Adam Zola's scraps win throw-ins here and there um, whereas this was was uh, very different actually in the second half um, after we scored then we um, we sat back a little bit and tried to counter a little bit more but hey, we had some very very good openings towards the end of the game to make it two or three nil. We had big chances before the the Soboslai penalty that um, we could have just scored from. I think the penalty itself was um, pretty soft. However, like a lot of English people said, I don't think it was a penalty. I actually do. I think it was a penalty. I think it was a little bit soft, but um, I think it was a penalty. But Hungary deserved to win that game, and and there were like I say, there were openings where. We didn't get the shot away a couple of times. It was we had a lot of three on twos and two on ones. Um, there was one special moment which could have been amazing, where um, I think it was um, Vetchai who was two on one, and he had Callum Styles wide open on the left, and Styles would like he could have just played it into his path, and Styles would have had a chance to make it two 0 against England, which would have been the even even more dreamy than Cloud 10, 11, 12. Uh, the centre's like into a different galaxy um, just because of the narrative of that moment if he'd have scored against them. But it, it wasn't to be. Um, and, he, and and I think you could see he was visibly frustrated with that. But yeah, it was a deserved win um, against against the team that um, came second in the Euros last year, which was just phenomenal to think that in September we got batter, absolutely battered by them um, 4-0 in that terrible second half performance. And um, yeah, to think that less than a year on, uh, we can do that. It's just amazing. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, There's lots of talk, David, as well, obviously how England aren't interested in this nation's league um, and friendlies in general. I mean, let's face it, they're qualifying groups for, for world cups or European championships. They're always ridiculously easy. Um, so they are kind of spoiled, aren't they, in opposition and that. Yeah. But to nations like ours and, and other of the lesser nations, I mean, we're we're a very small fish in a, in a I mean, group of death. Again, it's a group of death for Hungary. We absolutely adore that position, clearly. But, I mean, this means a lot to us, um, David. I mean, you're a huge fan. How, how does it feel to you, this, this nation league? Well, yeah, I mean, who, who would have thought this is actually a group of death from England's perspective? I mean, (laughs) but I, you know, I I never understand the argument of, oh, well, the big teams don't take it seriously. Well, they still have to get the points, right? I mean, they still have to show up and qualify. Okay, maybe not through the Nations League, but through these games against the likes of Hungary. So 
you know, that's my first question is, you know, why aren't they motivated, especially because if Gareth Southgate rotates and tries out all these young ones, well, this is their only chance to to get in the England squad. So I'm not sure they weren't motivated, or at least if they weren't, then they should have been, that there's nothing nothing stopping them from, from uh, giving a performance. And obviously for, for us, I mean, every game is, is a final. Um, and as we know, for example, for the World Cup, we missed out on qualification thanks to uh, two bad results against Albania. So we can't even let up um, in any of these games. Um, and, and as a fan, I mean, you know, well, <laughs> what can you even say about these results? And I, my favourite thing about it is that that win against England wasn't even the best result that we brought out of that game of uh, or out of that series of four games. Right. We thought, oh, wow, we've, we've beaten England no matter what happens in this group. We've done really well for ourselves. And only 10 days later, we uh, were here breaking records left, right and centre. Yeah, absolutely. And player wise as well for that for that game. I mean, looking at England's lineup, it, it was it, it's pretty formidable. I mean, let's face it, whatever squad they pick is, is going to be absolutely laid with talent. Um, and, and this was no doubt. I mean, I get that they've played lots and lots of games this season. But what did they think the Hungary, Hungarian players were doing? Like, they, oh, exactly. They finished in March or something. It's not. I mean, these guys that have been playing in the Champions League regularly and uh, uh, etc. Um, David, I, I, I won't forget ever I mean it was a great moment for all of us to be together but when we went to watch Video Tom play at Chelsea in the uh, in the Europa League um, Loic Nigo was phenomenal that night he absolutely ran the show for Vidi um, he, he could have scored an absolute worldie um, in his twilight years now he just how good was that guy against England? I mean, that pass was just absolutely phenomenal that he did in in, in the first half, the, the the one touch pass, just better um, and better, doesn't he? he? Gets all the time. Yeah, he's he's so good. I mean, he's he's one of those players that you're so glad we've convinced to to join our ranks. I was thinking about this earlier. Do you think when um, Rossi had the conversation? I don't know who had the conversation, but presumably Rossi had the conversation of. Loic, do you want to do you want to play for us? Do you reckon he has to explicitly say, well, you're probably not going to make the France squad, mate, so you might as well come and wear the red jersey? Do you reckon that's the motivational speech he has to give? A lot of these guys have been in Hungary a long time, so they clearly yeah, that's true. They clearly bad example, I guess. Culture, etc. As well, even Callum Styles, bless him, is starting to tweet like Haider Majerosag and things like that, which is you know, okay, someone's clearly helping him, but just to come out with stuff like that is 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 already fantastic, you know, because again, it's that Rossi making them buy into things and stuff like that. I mean, we've had some players that have qualified to to play for Hungary in the past. Um, Leandro, people like that, that weren't particularly very, very good, but we seem to be... How dare you, sir? Yeah, sorry, yeah. But we seem to be um, convincing a lot better players these days to, to, to come and play for us. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, whatever scouting system we've got in place is, is obviously is working. Um, I was thinking, do you know how um, when Brexit happened, not to bring politics into it, but do you remember there's a mad rush for people to look for Irish ancestry. Do you reckon people have watched the Nations League and are now scrambling their uh, family trees to look for Hungarian heritage so they can play for us? Amazing. Anyone that's got like, um, you know, parents that suddenly appeared in 1956, etc., they'll be, uh, they'll yeah. be going through their records. But like Kevin, I'm- Kevin Kudani coming out of retirement just to play for us. <laughs> That would be magnificent, <laughs> absolutely magnificent. Tom, now another player that is 
he, he's kind of loving or hating player, and I'm not sure whether that's because he plays for Pushkas Academy, but Zolt Narge, another incredible performance against England. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what happens at international level is when a player first comes into the team, especially playing for Marco Rossi and the way that he sets up his teams um, from a mentality point of view and also from a tactical point of view, I think a lot of them initially struggle. Um, you don't see many players come straight into the side and, and thrive it straight away. Like you think to even Nago's first games, like he wasn't first name on the team sheet by any stretch. He was kind of a guy who came on and, and did some nice things like, think to the Iceland game he came on with about 15 minutes to go in that game um and you think and I think that with a little bit of styles uh, initially like I think someone I think it was um Polly on um, Twitter said um uh, what's all the hype about Callum Styles I'm not really seeing it at the moment but I think I think it's very very early days for Callum Styles like four or five games in I think we can judge him um, in a in a few games, once he's um, yeah settled into the side and knows knows how to play in Rossi's side, and I think that's the same a little bit with Joel Nodge. Like I, I I think you are right as well in the fact that he's playing for Pushkas Academia, the most hated team in Hungary by a mile, and the fact that Pushkas Academia are a second tier side, uh, well not literally, but they're, they're below the level of Ferenc Varos and and Vidi. They might have um, finished above them. Um, but they, in terms of squad depth, they are they are worse than than both of those sides, especially Fernand Suarez, of course. But he's just come on leaps and bounds in this um, in in these last four games. Like I, he was superb against um, England in that first game. Obviously, we'll get into the second game as well, where he scored that belter. He was actually voted um, player of the match by Nemzeti Sport um, readers for that game. I thought Nago was actually better personally. I thought Nago was so, so good in that first game, but Jolt mm-hmm. Nigel was equally amazing. Like our two wing backs that day were so, so dangerous and so great going backwards. And it's going to be interesting to see if he performs to the same level as he does. Um, one, where he'll get a move to and two, what's going to happen to Milos Kerkes because Kerkes looks amazing. So, so good. Right now, for AZ Alkmaar, I think he should have been in the national team squad before, uh, rather than his late call-up. So, if Zolt Nars continues to play at this uh, level, like, is Kirkes going to be able to get in the team straight away? And how are we talking about like this? Like, we've been struggling right. for left wing-backs. We had Attila Fiola play left wing-back, who obviously amazingly deputised and scored against France. But, like, all of a sudden, now we're, we're stacked for left wing-backs. We've got... So Nodge, who's been awesome. We've got Miles Kirkes coming through. We've got even Callum Styles who can play there. So like, what what is happening to Hungarian football? I just don't understand it. Yeah, it is incredible. And do you know the weird thing for me is that the under twenty ones aren't getting results um, at all. They're just like so disjointed. Um, you know, we've we've spoke before about we're not sure whether Gare is the right man to to take it forward, but. What these under-21 individuals are doing at their club level is absolutely incredible. And I think Rossi wouldn't hesitate at all to put them straight into the into the um, the, the national team squad rather than the rather than the 21s, because um, he clearly sees that as where whatever they're doing, they're doing, you know, not not particularly performing great as a team but I think individually that he's he's going to blood them in to do that so like you say we do have an absolute wealth of talent um a question that that's come in and I, I apologize I don't have who it's from um 
and it, it's one calling me out um saying was it gabby that would always um give Schaefer a load of grief when he first was interested introduced to the national team and uh, and they want to question what do I think of him now um now Schaefer was uh, the, the coming of age for Schaefer I tell you what that European championships was phenomenal and I will hold my hand up that I I 100% did not think he would be good enough to play for our national team he came of age in that tournament and still it sends shivers down my spine to think of that moment when he was crying in Marco Rossi's arms. It just, it, oh, what a guy. Do you know what? Mm. Schaefer has to be one of the first names on that team sheet for me without any doubt. And, and again, we saw in Budapest against England in that midfield, he was facing Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, some you know Bowen he had some incredible um, talented players there um weren't out of place at all no he's like you say he's come on leaps and bounds I think it's also that in a similar way to Nago and Styles and and Zoltan Nodge like when the players first come through into the team they they maybe struggle a little bit and that was definitely the case with Schaefer he did look out of place I'm I was even surprised that he wasn't with the under 21s um, to just get a bit more international experience at that level before he came to the national team. But he has come on so, so much. And like you, you think to Genoa, who let him go so quickly uh, when he went there, I think he was only there for like a year and about 18 months or so. Um, they must be kicking themselves now um, because I think they're in the second tier or they, they, they just stay up this season. Or I can't remember where they are exactly. And, and he's gone to Union Berlin done pretty well since moving there and they're in the Europa League next season and he's just been like you say phenomenal like that header against Germany last summer was just <laughs> I mean I know we didn't go through that day and we only drew the match but that moment just after conceding the goal was will live with me for so long it was just that like was oh brilliant. my god oh my god and like I say like I know we we didn't win but like still you still have those moments uh, yeah. because in the moment it felt incredible and then like you say in in these four games and well I think he, uh, he missed one through suspension but he just he's so good and again we've got so much depth in that position for centre midfield we've got Adam Nodge we've got even Nago can play there we've got Callum Styles. we've got Dominic Sobosai we've got Lashlo Kleinheiser we've got Jolt Karmar to come back like it's just stacked and stacked and stacked. Um, how which, did this happen? I just how don't did we get it. depth all of a sudden? I mean, for, for decades, our problem was the only way Hungary are ever going to get a result is if the best 11 are fit. And if one person was out through injury or suspension, we all just knew that that was it. Game over because we yeah. didn't have any replacements. What happened overnight in the last few years? Just I, I an explosion. Answer, I can answer that with one name, and that's Marco Rossi. Yeah, that's true. I honestly believe, I mean, again, we, we've, we've been champions of him throughout the, the, this podcast and how, um, it, it, I think it was after the England game, it, 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 the uh, Nations League official account tweeted, um, you know, sum up this team in, in, in one word and, and I just put together because, mm. I, again, not the best talented team in the world, but the most one of the most organized hard to break down and a team with absolute 
self-belief and it's all down to, to one man I, I truly believe it yeah they, they, they play like a club team um, which you don't see very often at international level I think I've said this before but the you have this thing where it's, it's a little bit like Liverpool and Man United under Alex Ferguson where you take out a player from the team and you bring in a lesser player um, especially with Man United, they used to do it a lot. So like John O'Shea would come in and play right back. John O'Shea would sometimes play centre mid. Darren Fletcher would come in. Phil Neville would be, be playing. Um, it's a little bit similar with Liverpool. Like they can have Minamino come in for Salah. They can have Yotta come in for Mane. Like the play, the play doesn't have to be as good as the other one, but the team and the way that they play, the style, the tactical game plan, the mentality, which is also so important. It's all the same. So it doesn't matter that Callum Styles isn't quite as good as Adam Nudge or Kleinheiser isn't quite as good as Schaefer. That will sometimes matter, especially in that final pass or, or um, sometimes that will give the ball away a little bit more. But because the collective is so, so strong, the, 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 they're not let down by the the, the small time bits of weakness it's like a house like it's built on such incredibly strong foundations that, that there might be a little bit of weakness in there but it's it's overcompensated by the strength and it does obviously help that we have some fantastic players that we've not had in a long time as well like you think to like how much we love to and Yuhash but then you also think to how much better Willie Orban is than him. Mm. Like It's not even in the same level. I think Peter Golacci as well, how much better he is than any keeper we've had. And we, I think our keepers used to be awesome. Dominic Sobosai, how much better he is. Like Our players are so much better now. But also, like you say, we have a better coach as well than we've, we've ever had. Absolutely. And, you know, no bigger proof than, than that is is like when... when Soboslai was going to miss the, the the European Championships, and you know yeah. the whole country mm. went into national mourning. But yet there we were, and and did absolutely phenomenally. Everyone stepped yeah. up. And another thing to look at for me is like the introduction of Callum Styles as well. The fact that that we've got Champions League semi finalists looking at the dressing room and going, so let's just get this right. You've given a Hungarian passport to a guy who's just been relegated with Barnsley. And and you think he's good enough to play with his team, and and the fact is that everyone's yeah he is. If if mm. Ross thinks he's good enough, he's good enough, and he's proven he's good enough. It's you know it's just it's just beyond belief how how good this team. I, in in my generation, I never thought I would see Hungary get to um, another European Championships. We saw that. I never thought I'd see us. This team is by far the best in my lifetime that, that I've ever had the opportunity to see. And and it's just, okay, I put it down to Rossi and everything like that. Another thing I wanted to mention, on the way to the stadium, all these kids, the, the, the faces of these kids that were turning out, there was, I, I took the Metro to the stadium, it was empty. Now, on a match day, it would be absolutely heaving. It was empty. All these kids were coming in from coaches from all over Hungary. The looks on their faces guys when I saw them looking at the stadium when they first were driving up the road to it it's just amazing it would be like someone who's blind like seeing again that kind of reaction it was just so overwhelming to see and all these children I mean pretty much everyone wanted to go with Soboschlai on the back of their shirt obviously the the noise in the stadium when his name was read out on the team sheet just went up like 
X amount of decibels. It was off the scale. When they took him off, Ben Say pointed this out to me. We were looking down at it, and Sobosly was the guy that was out in the technical area urging the team on and telling players where to be and for things like that. For these children, seeing their idol doing something like that can only be good for Hungarian football because there's Hungarian football internationals amongst that crowd today. Do you know what I mean? That that, that will, will, will grow up to be that. It's just, just incredible. Yeah, and yeah. I remember this. I remember this being a criticism of Hungarian teams for years that it was just a bunch of guys thrown together who didn't really want to be there, and so there was never that cohesion, that team spirit um, of these guys. And you know, the results showed we were losing to Malta and all sorts. Um, and it, it wasn't, yeah, maybe it wasn't even until Rossi that that we even managed this um, this kind of cohesion. So that's that's incredible to see now. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, on on the. Um... On the on the young fans as well, like that you you can't. It's it's immeasurable that impact that it will have on them. Like, and it all feeds back to that cultural change. That I, I am going to touch a little bit on politics here. I'm not I'm not going to say bad or good, but like the cultural change that has happened since Victor Orban came in. This is is this is a sea change, and and I think that the fact that the stadiums and the infrastructure of Hungarian football has improved so much. It creates such a safer, more comfortable, more fun environment for the kids to go and and, and enjoy. Like you think to how much, um, obviously, like the the Carpathian Gate Brigade are vociferous with their support, but like the stadiums you go to um, to go to a Hungarian match, it feels as safe as houses. And it's the same with the club level as well. It's created such a, a more family focused um environment at so many football clubs and that can only be a benefit for the for the uh, fans coming through the younger fans like there's not many and i think also the fact that the carpathian brigade exist also has, has played a huge part in hungary being good again like you think before the carpathian brigade like there was no the ultras never walked under the same banner it never existed and for them to come together in 2009-10, I don't think it's also a coincidence that um, that there is this connection between the fan and the player on the pitch the, these days. And, and I think, like you say, there was a disconnect with with the players not looking bothered. It, it was almost like a, a bit of a chore to come and play for Hungary, where we, whereas they were playing in Bundesliga or or sometimes in Italy or whatever whereas now like there's such a connection between the player and and the fan I, I spoke to one player I went who say who it is but um he said there's not a nationalist bone in my body but when I play for Hungary it just creates something inside of me a patriotism that I, what I didn't think was there um and I think it's um I think there's so many factors that go into why Hungarian football is is thriving right now but I think I think that is another one of the reasons that the connection between the player and the fan, which is just so, so obvious because you look at the end of the game and how much it means to the players to hear that hymn uh, be sang and, and, and dancing with the fans and olaying and all that kind of thing. It's just, it's beautiful to see it really is. Yeah, definitely. And while, while I was out in, in Budapest, I had a chance to um, 
to pop down to Kishpest to, to visit the greatest football team in the world, Budapest Honved. And um, the new stadium there is absolutely phenomenal. And um, I was talking to some of the staff down there who said they've now created a um, an environment for the community. Um, on, on match days now, they have creches for children. They have play areas. There's areas where they can come and play football. And they were saying that now entire families come to the game. Not just, um, I mean, you know, Kishpest obviously had a had a bad reputation for, um, you, you know, extremism, far right, um, you name it. I think everything's been attached to that club. But this this new stadium and, and, and everything that they've put in place is kind of trying to kick that well and truly out. And, and, and so far, it, it seems to be working. Um, let's and just... you see at Fairlands Faros as well, like how much that's it's worked there. Like what... Ferenc Saros were a club for, for of the far right. They always have been since since the 50s or so. Like they were always kind of that club. Um, whereas now, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist anymore, but like it, it on the terraces at least, it's not heard, and it's created such a such a such a better environment. I remember going to Ferenc Saros before the the new stadium with my mom. And she was just walking around almost looking petrified at what she was seeing. Um, it was a game against the Oz There's just so much riot police and like bad blood. Yeah. Whereas you go to Fenerbahce now and it's just such a lovely atmosphere. Mm. Like, and it's still vociferous. It's still got that bite to it. That, that, yeah, that anger and supporting your team, which is always, always needed, but it's, it's safer and it's, it's, it's a, f- a family environment. And that's, and if you want to create, um, kids who are going to invest in Hungarian football and want to play for the national team, want to play for these clubs, you've got to create atmospheres and and stadiums like that so they can go and and feel, yeah, I want to play for these when I grow up or or I want to support these for the rest of my life. Yeah, and and, and David, I genuinely, we have to touch on it. I really didn't want to, but clearly there was the booing of the knee that that took place. And, And I'm not not wanting to touch on it because um, I, I'm pretending it doesn't exist or anything like that. Again, we've been vociferous on here at, at how much we don't want that kind of rubbish. Um, but it happened. Um, you know, we, we need to talk about it. Um, I genuinely don't believe these children that were booing the knee had a clue what they were booing. No, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think it was even necessarily a political statement you know sometimes you go to a football match and you boo things just to rile up the opposition and so maybe there's a bit of that um not that i'm defending it in any way but you know there are there are explanations but it, you know you never want you never want to see it no i, I genuinely I, I just feel like all the children i saw there like thousands and thousands and thousands that were far more interested in blowing their horns and, and, and making the noise. I think that if, if during during that uh, England taking the knee, like a, a, a group of people would have started clapping, then I think they would have all clapped. I just think they just followed what was happening there. Yeah. Another example, the, the, the following day, I went to the, the European um, Champions League handball final, which uh, had, a, had a huge Hungarian team in it. Um, the stadium had like 20,000 people in there. Um, obviously, Hamble's huge in, in, in Hungary. Um, and again, it was a family atmosphere. Uh, there was no, uh, there was lots of people of colour on on uh, Jure's team. The same of uh, the guys from Denmark, the guys from Norway, the guys from France. Uh, uh, Mets, 
was all kind of people of colour. But yet, everyone there that was watching all the games that were happening was supporting them all. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't even an inkling of that to be happening. I just think it's... Football gets gets that kind of crap out of people, doesn't it? It's that pack mentality mm. and, and stuff like that mm. that only ever gets attracted to football, it seems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, f- football does does somehow evoke that that visceral feeling from people, doesn't it? But but I, but I think you're right. It it was it's a sort of spur of the moment thing. Somebody starts it up, and then you you they all kind of tagged along, which is you know not necessarily what you or I would do. But they're they're kids. They're there in that atmosphere, and you not necessarily know what you're really really doing. Yeah, and again, like nobody booed the anthem, no, the, the 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 English national anthem. No, there was no booing of that or anything. It was mm. it just impeccably kind of respected, um, unlike it was in in um, in Wolverhampton. But you know, yeah, yeah the whole kind of it, it's just it's so easy for it. It's like every, all the all the press, the majority of the press, well, yeah, that's the thing. English press. Don't get me wrong, but the, the majority of them were clearly waiting for that to to, to happen because it. You know. Because it's much easier to have a headline that says racist children rather than, you know, talk about the nuances of, of what's happening and, and all that. Yeah, exactly. And, you, you know, again, they only need to, to look at some of the stuff Tom's done and written and things like that to, to, to really look into it and understand it. But it's just so easy to be a, a, a knee-jerk reaction. And it's just going to, unfortunately, whenever England play hungry, it's just going to be one of the things that, that, that goes on there. Um, yeah, and I was I watching you were the... I thought you were going to say all the reasons that Tom should have already been cancelled. <laughs> I feel like I have been by some people. Um, but I was watching the UK coverage on Channel 4 and all they were talking about after the game was the booing of the knee. And it's like, I know, I I understand why there was such a backlash to it. Like, And, and the, I guess the most problematic thing for me is that whether you agree with booing the knee or not, which I'm sure some people listening to the show actually do agree with booing it. But the problem is that 30, 40,000 or how many number of children that booed the knee, um, whoever did that, like none of them are going to know why they're doing it. And that's the most problematic thing, that because that opinion has been forced upon them. Either they've just done it because... Um, they've seen that's what people do on TV. They've heard a few boos go on and then they do it. Or or for whatever reason that they've done it, that, that opinion has been forced upon them. So it's not opinion that they've found on their own. So that's, I think that's the most problematic thing for me, really. It's not that they are being knowingly racist or they're, they're knowingly anti-Marxist, because I think that's one of the, the most commonly... Uh, used uh term it, uh, it's, it's a marxist symbol this this booing of the knee uh no uh, the, taking the knee is like a marxist symbol which is mad but i don't think um the children of hungary are that up to date with marxist theories and philosophies to really since that was uh, compulsory in hungarian school <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, especially before the age of 12 so um like i think that's the most troubling thing for me that obviously it's opinion that's been forced upon them and they've reacted to it. But the fact that all the English people, English media talked about after the game, after a loss, which which they hadn't lost, I think, since Belgium in 
2020, uh, uh, 2020, yeah, um, that all they were talking about was the booing of the knee. It's like, come on, you've just watched your football team get soundly beaten by the 40th world ranked team and, and all you're talking about is this? Like, I don't really understand it. And they weren't saying anything apart from, oh, they booed the knee. What do you think about that? It's like, and then you get Michael Owen just giving some shit opinion on something he has no knowledge about. Like, talk about the game and get like philosophers or academics or people who are actually experts on on yes. this kind of thing to talk about it and not get some someone like Michael Owen that all he was actually good at in life. He's not even seen like five films in his life. He's not. He's probably never read a book, but he was very good at scoring goals. That's to get him to talk about football rather than these political issues. Right, absolutely. And uh, you know, this. I don't want to be that that guy that says, oh, but "Look at this and look at that." But there's there's forty plus league fixtures in England every weekend, and um, a, a, a huge amount of those, you'll find that even even the fans are booing the knees there. But the, yeah, 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 that's exactly the thing that they didn't even say. Like it, they were saying it as like, "I've never seen this thing before." Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think back to especially the first week when when football fans were back in England I would say the majority of fans in the in the country booed the knee that weekend and, it, and but it still it still happens today and yet yeah exactly yeah 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 the press aren't starting their press reports with blah 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 mm. they'll go on to you know it's just read about you know one one draw between whoever and whoever but it's, there's no mention of it it's, yeah, you know, it's it's just such a it's such an easy target to thing to do, you know, and it's you know it's not helped helped by obviously the political standing in in Hungary and everything like that, and, and people's perceptions of what is is going in Hungary, going on in Hungary, etc. So it's 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 difficult. It's not going to go away for a while, um, but if, if we move on, guys. Anyway, much like the Hungarian team did, and. Chazena was the uh, was the next stop where we faced a uh, transitioning Italian team. Um, Half time, we found ourselves two nil down. Um, obviously, an own goal pulled it back to two one. Have we got a bit of a right to feel aggrieved that we didn't get a draw out of this, guys? Or do you think it was a kind of bit more one sided than I'm probably thinking? I thought the first half Italy were was superior to us like the way they pressed us um I think Italy out of the four games that we had this this team were the best ones that we faced I think especially in the first half they did we had a couple of good chances but um I think we yeah we had the lesser of the game and I think we grew into it the the longer it went on the more they made a few changes it kind of unsettled them a little bit and, and it seemed to spark a little bit in us but I think this was the one game of the four that I think we were the worst team in. Um, mm. I just think Italy, the way they pressed, really caused us a lot of problems. They were superb, I thought, and especially for a team that, like you say, are in a bit of transition. There are not too many names that will will scream out at, uh, at the kind of the average fan, um, especially compared to what we saw at like the last Euros. I thought they were, I thought they were really impressive, actually, Italy. To be honest, they were, and. David, another sort of positive that that came from the match was uh, Zalan Vancha making his uh, Hungarian debut. To he become the youngest ever player for 104 years to to uh, represent Hungary. Um, 
do you see him as a how how do you see his integration into the team going do you think there was lots of talk when he went into the squad about obviously the the amount of time and being the youngest player do you think Rossi wanted to get that out the way and then let's see where we go from there or is it a little bit too early for him no I, I think it's good to give him his debut soon get as you say get it out of the way get him out of the limelight a little bit because no no one's going to be talking about his second appearance as much as they were talking about his debut um and I, I guess it depends i mean you guys were talking about the under 21s earlier it depends on how that strategy unfolds right whether it's a change in management there that that will spark you know a change in rossi's attitude towards the youngsters because i don't think he wants to pluck every 16 17 year old um, and, and throw them immediately into the first team. I don't think that's his strategy, but maybe he does see that the current um, management and coaching around under 21s is maybe not ideal for the future, maybe not not his first choice of how he would do it. So, um, so may, maybe if changes are made there, then um, then it's possible his his integration will be a sort of longer process, which I think is probably what should happen. You know, I don't think we want to be dropping these lads in too young. Um, you obviously don't want to wait forever. So, you know, bringing them along for the experience, I think, is is good enough at this stage. And obviously, he's he's I mean, an absolute prospect for the future. Um, once he gets some game time, you know, a year or two's time, he might he might get his place. But but I, I see it as a as a much longer process, ideally. How much do you think, David? Um the fact that Man- Manchester City are involved influenced his um, his call up to the national team. Um, I-, I have to be honest and say I haven't seen much of Lommel, um, <laughs> you know. Or, or... It's unbelievable that you say that, Gabby. I cannot believe it. <laughs> Do you think that's that's part of the thinking? Well, as a Lommel season ticket holder myself, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe, maybe you know that will definitely increase the hype around him and maybe accelerate Rossi's plan to get his first cap out of the way. I don't know. But Rossi doesn't seem like the kind of person to be swayed by media palaver. So I don't know. No, I do. I do think you're right, Tom. I'm kind of going down the football manager route here, where you've got your eye on a player and you're sort of I'm in an R in and you look at the clubs that are interested in him and you see it's Man City, Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. And you think, well, I've got to sign him. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> that was always the case. And then you, you as a lesser club are like, well, I'm not going to be able to get him, am I? I'm just going to have to yeah. try and pay over the odds or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then end up playing for a, uh, over the odds for a flop. I don't think Zalan Vontra is going to be a flop. Like, um, I'm not saying that every player that City sign um, turns out to be uh, great. You, you think to the players that actually come through their youth system. And at the moment, they're few and far between. But um, And it's a very, very difficult club to get into the first team. Obviously, for them, with them being so amazing and having such uh, riches at their disposal to go for, for bigger names and more established footballers, you think to obviously Haaland and um the 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 spanish uh the argentinian kid that they've just signed alvarez um just in this summer so it's going to be very very tough for him to actually progress into the first team um but he's yeah at one of the best academies in in europe now like they're an academy which have been um i mean i'm, I'm a man united fan and united's um former players were sending uh, their kids to 
to Man City ahead of Man United because of how good the facilities um, are at Man City compared to United. I think United are catching up a little bit, but still, like City are really doing good things there. But I think to someone like Daniel Arzani, who they signed from Australia, who's a, a little bit similar to Vontra. Um I think Vontra is a, a better player, but similar kind of um, mould. Uh, and Daniel Arzani really just didn't work out. Um, and there's been a few players that City have signed at youth level and have just not quite made it. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see how he progresses. And like I say, it's very tough to to come through at that team. Like not many players have. I mean, obviously Foden's an example, but Foden is a, a generational talent. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. I think the loans are going to be super interesting as well. I mean, like he actually has signed for Lommel, hasn't he? But um I think it's just to just to avoid the the Brexit thing. Uh, they're part of the City group, and I don't think he can get a work, or I don't think he can actually sign for them at under 18 uh, as an under 18 to a man, uh, man City because of the the new law or something. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really really interesting to see what he's like at senior football outside of Hungary. And um, yeah, like this huge 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 things uh expected of him but like yeah this is what i guess happens when you're so good you get all this pressure heaped upon you absolutely um now as this has been such a positive issue uh addition because we obviously um, have had some phenomenal results we're going to quickly move on from italy we'll pretend that one didn't happen and uh we were back to it sort of is a blip isn't it it is. It really, really is. Imagine that. Uh, so we were back to Budapest, back at the Pushka Stadium, this time with 67,000 fans in there, um, not just children. The atmosphere absolutely off the scale, as you would imagine. Um, Germany, the opposition, and uh, within six minutes, we were we were back in dreamland. Um, Tom, their team was absolutely phenomenal when i looked at it on paper i thought oh, here we go again this is that that um fearing the worst but uh, this is another outstanding performance yeah you could you could argue in in some respects it was our best i mean we obviously beat england 4-0 just to remind people of that um so you would think that that would be the best but i think i think hungary were absolutely awesome in this like you say um in the next game after this germany went on and beat um, Italy 5-2 um, and I think Hungary were the better team in this game they had the better XG um, not that I'm sure not everyone loves XG but I, I'm, I think um, it does tell a story and yeah I think they were lucky not to win this they had the better chances Martin Adam had two two great chances with his head which I think Adam Zolai would have scored at least one of them especially the second one especially um, but yeah, Hungary were just awesome, and we made a couple of changes. Nago went out, Callum Styles came in and started. Um, the back three was the same as before. Gulacci came in for this one after after Debush deputised there in in Italy. Um, and yeah, like to to go toe to toe again with Germany um, a year on from that amazing two two draw, like um, just again super impressive, like. What's this? The third game in in six or seven days as well. For like I say, that we made a few changes, but not that not wholesale changes by any stretch. And yeah, for these guys to go out there and perform again like they did 
again, like I say, unlucky not to win. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, this, this is one of these games where Adam Zalai was was his in, incredible self. Um, I, I, after the the England game, I had lots of messages from um, from English friends who who were saying, "How is he a centre forward? And he can't score goals." And it's a thing that Hungarians are hung up as well about him and his goal scoring record. Where we have to forget that he's a goal scorer. We're not interested in him goal scoring. What he does for this team, hold up play. The passion, he's the leader, he's the driver. But we've started to see him as well now. He's coming up with little tricks, he's nutmegging people, he's been an absolute nuisance. It kind of like leads me on to the question that where do we go after him? Um, mm. What do we have in that mould? So against Germany, we kind of saw Martin Adam get 20 minutes um, of action. Clearly, he's not going to be the future. As good as he's been um, for for Poch last season, he's one of Europe's, I think, top five or six, like most goals last season. So, absolutely phenomenal. Being touted at a, a lot of big clubs now, or bigger clubs. Um, but we didn't really learn anything as to... He, I think he, he's not in the same ilk, obviously, but... Where do we find that next missing person that, that fits into there, David? Who, who, who can you see stepping up? Well, you, you say that, but I mean, obviously, but by the time he came on in the England game, um, he had it easy. You know, we were winning. It was it was almost plain sailing by that point. But but I thought I thought he did well. He had some nice little passes. Um, he held up play a bit. I thought I thought he actually looked looked solid. Um, so I'd like to see more of him. I mean, I, I can't say one way or another if he's the natural successor to Salai. Um, we don't know if he's going to sustain his his um, performances over over long term. But, you know, I thought his performance in the England game was encouraging. Um, and we've got some young strikers. We've got Andres Nemeth, who's, who's doing really well. Um, so I'm sure we've got youngsters up and coming. But then then you do have a sort of gap, don't you? Because Salah is on his, I won't say on his way out, but, you know, he's not going to be replaced by a 17-year-old overnight. No. So, uh, yeah, we, we do have to think about that, don't we? It's just interesting. I don't. I don't see how an out and out kind of goal scorer like fits into that position with 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 That's the way, true. with the play with with uh, obviously Shalai on the on, on the wing etc. Um, it's just interesting as to what you know. Does does Rossi kind of have to start tinkering with, with that top three, Tom? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I think Zola, like you say, was was outstanding in these games. Like as good as as good as I've seen him over a stretch of games, I think like he's always super useful for Hungary. Um, but these games, he just looked so sharp. He was so up for it. He was so good, dancing at times in that fourth game against England. Before we had put the game out of sight, he was just phenomenal. Like the MLS posted on their Instagram a, a clip of him falling at, um being pushed to the ground getting up um doing a turn being surrounded by two England players throwing them both off and then walking away and playing a pass and then it went and then it showed went to a clip of the enthusiasm theme and it just summarized like his whole campaign like over these four games he was phenomenal, so so good, and it does just make me 
a little bit sad. Like you say, what are we going to do without him? In in the game after the, after England, um, Rossi said in in the press conference, um, unprompted, no one asked about Zolai, but he said, for those criticising Adam Zolai, look at him today, look at him over these four yeah. games, and then think to the two Albania games, he didn't play in either game, yeah. which is very, very interesting. Yeah. For all those who criticise him, think about that. And he he is phenomenal, like you say. He doesn't score that many goals, but the but it doesn't matter if if the team wins, if the team puts in good performances. Does it matter if you if your striker scoring? If we're failing to win games, then you might go, mm, maybe we could change up something up there. But he just scoring big games anyway. He scored against Germany last summer, and yeah, what he brings to that team is amazing. And it's going to be very very hard to replace him. Like mm, probably impossible because. How many p? How many footballers in? How many players in world football can you think of who play like Adam Zolai? Very, very few these days. Um, and and he's just so so perfect for this national team. Like we are a team who are based on, uh, are built on triers, workers, people who scrap for everything. And he is the epitome of that. And he's just such a great leader as well. He loves his country. Loves playing for the national team. People will go to war for him. Like you've seen his speeches in the dressing room. You've seen the relationship he has with Dominic Soboslai. To replace him is going to be super, super difficult. And I think I think he's going to have to change the team um, and the way that we set up when it gets to that point when, uh, when Zola is not uh, able to, to perform to the level that he is at the moment. Like if you bring Andras Nemet into that team, how does he fit in? I'm not sure he does. I, I agree with David. I think Martin Adam was good in the um, in the game against England. He, he's got two assists. He was yeah, especially the first assist was super super work, great pass. Um, but he's not the same type of player. He he's big and strong, of course, but he's he doesn't have the strength and the know-how and the experience that Zolai does. He plays he's played in Hungary all his life. So whatever happens when Zolai leaves. You can't replace him like flight. There's no one who will be able to do that because of all the reasons that I've mentioned. Um, so, yeah, it's going to have to be a change in system. But, um, yeah, I guess we live in the present for for the, for now. And yeah. um, don't worry about that future too much right now. Uh-huh. I mean, I, it's not my job to. I'm going to just bask in this beautiful present. Uh-huh. And then think of Marco Rossi and Istvan Brege and all the coaches can can think about that dilemma in the future. I just think for for the fans that don't understand what he does for this team and uh, and stuff, I, I think they're used to just playing FIFA because the, you know he does get pelters from a lot of the younger players, younger fans and, and a lot of older ones too as well who just presume that you've got a number nine on your back that you must be a goal scorer. But they say without any doubt he's one of the first names on the team sheet and I couldn't care less. If he didn't score or not, it's just so irrelevant. He, what he brings, like say, I, I just, I love that guy. And and when he does hang up his boots, it will be incredibly sad. But I don't think it will be particularly a long, long, long time before we see him on the uh, on the bench um, with his suit and tie on, managing us. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that will be the case. And and I just hope when the youngsters get older and start to sort of see football a bit differently, they'll realise that. I, what a what a guy! What an absolute guy! Yeah, and you think also like you say that he doesn't score that much, and he, obviously he doesn't. You look at his goal scoring record, but he doesn't miss that many chances either. You no, think absolutely. to these these games, like 
he, he drops so deep for the others to go running past him. He doesn't actually have that many chances. And you think when he actually does, he's actually a really good finisher. You think back to that goal against Germany, it was such a great header. Um, he, he, he is a very good goal scorer. He's just so selfless. He's, he's not someone who just wants to score goals. He wants to help the team as much yeah. as he can. And it's, like you say, he's going to be so, so missed. Definitely. Well, thanks, guys, to tuning into this episode of the Hungarian Football... Hang on a minute. No, no, no. Let's not stop there. 14th of June, 2022, uh, 8.45 Central European time. Uh, Molyneux Stadium, Wolverhampton. Nations League, England playing uh, Hungary, England off to the World Cup. Um, expectation high, full house, not at Wembley. Oh dear, it all went very, very, very wrong, very, very, very quickly. Roland Shalai, oh my goodness, a game for the ages, just absolutely phenomenal. In fact, there's a whole team here that everybody was absolutely phenomenal. There's nobody who had a bad game. Everyone was absolutely perfect. Tom, you sat in a press box to witness Hungary's, like the Nemzeti Sport said in 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 the on the front page the next day. It was like the result of the century. It's just beyond belief, Tom, to be there and witness that life. Just run us through it, mate, if you can. I um. Yeah, I didn't really know what I was witnessing, to be honest. I was I was so lucky um, that someone happened to just cancel the day before um, because at Wolverhampton, the press box isn't very big, so there's not man- many um, press cards to hand out. I just got very lucky that someone happened to cancel the day before and then they were like, um, we've had a cancellation. Do you want to come? And I was like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> that would be, be superb. Thank you. Um, and yeah, when I got there, like, was, um, I wouldn't say I was mixing with the journalists, but I spoke to a couple and and they weren't particularly interested in being there. The, the cricket, in, I'm, I'm talking about the English journalists here, like um, the cricket was amazing that day. And, and I overheard a couple of Sun and Telegraph journalists being like, well, we're not going to be on the back page no matter what happens today. Uh, uh, the cricket's been so amazing that they're going to get all the headlines or whatever. Little did they know. <laughs> but two hours later, they'd have the story of of the year on their hands. They'd have their uh, knives, sharp, they'll be sharpening their knives throughout the last 20 minutes of the game as Hungary absolutely <laughs> ripped apart England for the second time on English soil in the last 70 years and they outdid the mighty Magyars. Like what the hell? I just couldn't, I, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. It felt like, it felt like a, like, I don't know, like a really weird dream where like everyone around me was just perplexed. No one could understand what was going on. People, uh, I was certainly a sort of sun journalist and throughout the last 10 minutes, all he was doing was, searching to find out when England had lost that badly at home before it was I can't remember a time where we ever lost by four goals when was it when was it It was ringing the office to find out when when the last time this happened was 1929 where they lost 5-1 to Scotland um they'd never been beaten this badly by a team 
uh, not from the British Isles um, before in England. Like, and this is Hungary who are doing this. Not This isn't Hungary who did this in the 1950s, a Hungarian team that had got to a World Cup final 12, uh, 15 years before and were about to get to a World Cup final the next year. This is a Hungarian team that 10 years ago, uh, well, maybe not quite 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we're losing to, we're losing to Malta. We're being embarrassed 16. in Europe 16 years ago. I remember it well. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Oh. Just losing rubbish games, drawing rubbish games. No one was watching the team. Even like 10 years ago or so, we were pretty poor. Like you think even to like went during the Euros, like we, we were really lucky to qualify for that tournament. We finished third in a group which had Romania and Northern Ireland finish above us. Like now for, for that to happen, I just... It, it was it was like it was like dreamland. It was absolutely crazy. I, I posted on Twitter uh, the next, I think it was actually later that evening that I went to the first game that Hungary played in the Nations League. It was Marco Rossi's first game, and we lost one 0 away to Finland. And it could have been more. Like the transformation that Hungary have made in those, uh, I, I think it's four four years since that game, like less than four years, I think. It's unbelievable what this man has done. And and the team is just, you, you look at that team that day and it's just, not just in terms of the players, but the way that they play is just unrecognisable. Um, sure, we've had a couple of blips on the Rossi, like the two Albania games, as we've, as we've mentioned. But like, it's, yeah. And, and it wasn't even like, oh my God, we scored with every chance that we had. It just felt like we almost like deserved to win like that. We we had a one cleared off the line in the first half, Dominic Soboslay. There's a couple of other openings that we had. And oh, honestly, it was like dreamland. It was absolutely mental. And to see all the English fans going absolutely crazy after they shouted, you race, uh, yeah, you racist bastards, we know what you are throughout the whole national anthem. And for them to just turn like they did on Gareth Southgate, it's like, you entitled fuckers. Yes. <laughs> One year ago, you were in the final of the European Championship, the first final you've had at a major tournament since 1966. And less than a year later, you're booing the manager like that and wanting him gone like people were going absolutely crazy spitting feathers the press was sharpening their knives after the game it's like oh i mean it's one of the reasons why i fell out of love with 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 england like as someone who grew up in england like because of this entitled mentality and for hungary to do it against them it makes it even sweeter and i'm sure loads of people listening to this will agree like it's amazing for Hungary to beat a great team, but for it to be England as well, like, oh, it makes, this, makes the fruit taste so much sweeter and nicer. And it's not that we did, we, we absolutely battered them. And I would implore any England fan, as much as a horror show it was, watch it back and just realise how good Hungary were. We were phenomenal. We played incredible football. We scored some unbelievable goals. We were absolutely we deserved 4-0, 100%. This wasn't a scraped 1-0, whatever it was. And let's not forget, Willie Orban had their best chance of the game as well. And he's Hungarian. <laughs> it's true. To go back to what you were saying, Tom, 2018, Hungary's results. 
Hungary 2, Kazakhstan 3, Hungary 0, Scotland 1, Belarus 1, Hungary 1, Hungary 1, Australia 2, Finland 1, Hungary 0. We then beat Greece 2-1, we then lost 1-0 to Greece, we drew with Estonia 3-3 before beating them 2-0 and then we beat Finland. Four years ago, David, four years ago. Can you believe those results? We even had Uruguay come and spoil the party when we, we when we opened the new stadium. And that was like 2019, where we, we lost to Slovakia, we lost to Montenegro, we lost to Croatia, Uruguay, Wales. And here we are destroying England 4-0 in their back garden. Can you believe it, David? Um, No. <laughs> no, I'm, I've just started watching the uh, the new series of Stranger Things, and I think uh, p- potentially the first episode was that game. So I just need to go back to Netflix and make sure uh, <laughs> if it wasn't produced by the same people. Um, no, I, I think it wasn't until, it's funny you mentioned those results, it wasn't until in 2019 when we actually beat Croatia 2-1 at home amidst all those horrendous results was when I think we all thought, oh, maybe this Marco Rossi knows something. I think that was his first result where we actually played well and we beat the team that were the current silver medalists right from the from the last World Cup. Um, and, and that that work finally came to fruition um, in Wolverhampton. I mean, for me, the, the fascinating thing is, well, is, is, is that we never looked like losing that game and that, you know, Hungary have had some decent results over the years, but it was always scraped. It was always panicky we were always just like panicking and, and until the final whistle was blown because we had no idea we had no belief that we could actually win these games but we were one nil up against England for ages and and I was watching like totally casually thinking yeah I mean this is fine we're doing great um and then two nil three nil four nil I mean I just couldn't believe it but but I think we reached a point where Hungary can actually not just scrape results but actually compete for 90 minutes and look like a team that deserves a victory, which, I mean, if you had told me this five years ago, I, I mean, e- even even after we qualified for Euro 2016 and played and did as well as we did, even then, if you told me this was coming, I, I think I would have laughed at you. I think I would have said Euro 2016 was the peak. We can't ever go any higher than that. And, and now we're here. I just, I cannot believe it. I completely agree as well when you say it looked comfortable, it felt comfortable. Look, 1-0. It didn't look like hunger. It didn't look like England were going to score. And then it got to two nil. And mm. then it was like that's when they start to up it a little bit. I was and more was nervous like, at two nil actually. So I was about to say the same thing, yeah, because there was a five minute period where they really upped it, and I was like, if they score here, yeah, I think the Hungary momentum gonna, is theirs. Yeah, yeah, and it it would feel a bit like that Portugal game where they scored and then they scored again, they scored again. I was oh. like, how are we? How are Hungary going to be mentally stable to to go through this if they do score? And then we scored and it was like, yes, party time. <laughs> Do you know what this finally does as well? It finally takes away that Hungarian family tradition of listening to your dad, listening to your granddad about how good the the golden team was. And of course they are. We are those people now. But this now gives us our moment. We, we are the next granddads. We can tell our grandchildren. It's the defining score you know and thank god for the nations league that's all i can say it's um, the defining score for now 
for now, absolutely. Yeah, we've got we've got Germany to Italy to batter later in the group as well. And also, remember, if we win the group, we go into the semi-finals of the Nations League. And then we, if we win that, we win, we win. Imagine if we won the Nations League. Imagine if we won the Nations League. <laughs> like, and honestly, it's not even that impossible. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's totally feasible. We could win we... a major tournament. Yeah. I love it, guys. The positive... We're 2004's Greece. We could go better than the Mike Mar- Mar- No, no we're again. much better. They didn't we're even win a better. trophy. They won the Olympics, but they didn't win the trophy. They didn't yeah. win the major tournament. Again, they're better. They'll be calling, what, what are they calling now? Like Rossi's, I don't know. I can't think of a word. Rossi's. We need to work on this, guys. Yeah, yeah, Twitter. There's a competition for you guys on Twitter. The best person that can come up with that will win our admiration. Definitely. That's not easy to win. That's not easy. That's, I mean, you know, it's taken something like 4 0 to get you out of the cupboard, David. So we're, we're doing well, mate. We're doing well. Yeah, 3 0, mate. I would have just stayed at home. <laughs> not, not getting out of bed for that. <laughs> Guys, that wraps it up for um, this episode of the Hungarian Football Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, there's plenty more content if you look back on our previous episodes. There's lots of great interviews as well. And we've got some more to come as well um, in the imminent future. Um, stay tuned and we're going to tell you all about the uh, Erbstein tournament with uh, Dominic Bliss so please hang on for that that's going to come up right after we say goodbye to Tom goodbye Mr Gabby goodbye Mr Athboth and goodbye David thanks for having me guys it was a pleasure look forward to having you back again soon take care guys stay safe and we will be right back sooner than you know it take care guys 4-0 Indul Szalai, és vissza lehet tenni Kleinheislenek, és újra Szalainak, és ott a gól a helyzet, és a gól, és a gól! Szalai vezet Magyarország! 550 nap után be lehet azt piszkálni, pöckölni, tuckolni! Egy ide! És micsoda támadás volt! So guys, as promised at the beginning of this episode, we have Dominic Bliss with us, who is the co-founder of the Egri Erbstein tournament. Um, If you haven't heard about it, where have you been? And it makes a return this year, not to Budapest, but to London. And I'm delighted to say that Dom is here to tell us all about it. Hi, Dom. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks very much. Dom, um, it's a really, really intriguing competition. It's got great history. Can you um, give us a bit of background to it? How did it come about? Yeah, so I'll try and cut it short because it's a, it's, a, it's a long story, but it's a, it's a really good one. Um, so essentially, um, in well, eight years ago now, um, my biography of Ernu Egri Erbstein came out. He was the uh, Hungarian Jewish manager of the Grand A Torino. They're the team that sort of dominated Italian football after the Second World War. They won the league title five years in a row in the 40s and um, ran away with it in the last couple of years. And then they um, they died in a plane crash, the whole team, including Erbstein, the manager, um, the Superga the air disaster on the way back from a game against Benfica in 1949. Um, and for decades after that, although the team became a myth and a legend and they were almost deified really as the, they were they went down as the greatest club side in Italian football history and 
obviously their tragic end meant that everyone knew the story um but uh the manager was kind of forgotten a bit and uh, i don't think a lot of people even now know i tried my best with the book but even now know that um the name Egri Erbstein but he was one of the great managerial pioneers of the modern game you know he he changed a lot of the way that people do things in in uh, in terms of coaching in terms of nutrition and preparation for players physically um but also sort of um scouting he had satellite clubs and things like this that he would uh, send players on loan to until they were ready for the Torino team and he would go and watch uh, opposition and highlight weaknesses which sounds so basic now but was actually pioneering at the time and and um, adjust the tactics um, accordingly. He would throw kind of surprises into his lineups to, to catch out the opposition. And uh, he just achieved great things. He, he got the Torino job because he'd taken little Lucchese up to Serie A from, from the third tier and they finished seventh under his guidance. Um, but he started his career as a hard tackling, no-nonsense midfielder with Bok, Budapesti Atletico Club. In, I mean, that's my English pronunciation there. In yeah. the um, in the Hungarian um, first division, uh, in the oh, it would have been during the First World War and into the early twenties, and it's there that the tournament comes from, springs from. Because when my book came out in Hungarian, when it was translated, some guys in Budapest um, who were thinking of forming a uh, an amateur side anyway, because they were kind of disillusioned with the way that top top level football was being run. Um, they they decided to um to to make that team a reincarnation of Bok. You know, they took the name, they took the uh, red and black uh, <laughs> got that wrong. They took the blue and black stripes and the um and the crest of the original team. Uh they 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 changed the crest but they kept uh, the the colours and they changed the crest to be a ram because that's what Bok means in Hungarian. Um and um, they they were in the sixth tier and this season they've been promoted to the fifth tier. But one of their founding principles was to host a tournament in Egri Erbstein's name, which they did in 2019. And they contacted me as the author of the book to see if I might be able to help them, A, publicise it, and B, find a team, an English team, to compete in it. And it just so happened that I was involved with my local team in uh, the Isthmian Premier League over here, which is the seventh tier, um, Corinthian Casuals. And Corinthian Casuals made up of two teams that amalgamated in 1939, the Corinthians and the Casuals, both of whom helped to develop the game in Hungary, helped to popularise it by visiting when they were at their peak and the game was still sort of taking off in Hungary in uh, 1904 and 1905, respectively. And they gave the, they bestowed upon the Hungarian amateur clubs at the time a, comp uh, a trophy, the Corinthian Cup, which was to be given to the champions of a knockout competition. So all these years later, Corinthian Casuals came back to Budapest in 2019 for the Egri Erbstein tournament, and they brought with them the trophy for that tournament. So it's called the Corinthian Cup in honour of that history. So there's a, a great coincidence of two stories that I was kind of adjacent to and able to bring together. It's absolutely phenomenal. The story, the background to it, and for you to have gathered all that information. I, I know like the past in Hungary, especially dating back to the dates that you were looking at, is incredibly hard to um, to investigate. And I remember speaking to you many years ago, trying to sort of find the old ground, etc. And that, and it was a real, real headache. So the fact this tournament has come together is, is absolutely, you guys deserve a massive round of applause. Um, 
So the first tournament, obviously, in Budapest was at uh, BVSC Stadium, my favourite stadium in in Hungary, um, ironically. And everybody that went had an absolutely phenomenal time. The feedback was brilliant. Um, The paper coverage as well, especially in in Hungary as well, with Nemjeti Sport covering it. Um, It's some really big websites, etc. We're we're looking at the tournament and the interest was was just phenomenal. the fact that it's going to be on UK soil and, you know, the, the ground hopping scene and, and the, the kind of niches over here are so well loved, um, yeah. expecting big things. I mean, you've got some great kind of uh, opposition this time, obviously, Sheffield FC, world's first football club, um, yeah. all the way from America, um, Fall River Marksman. I mean, that name alone is just phenomenal. <laughs> What's the kind of background to these guys and, and, and why have they been invited along to it? Yeah, so first of all, I should probably say that the, the Corinthian Casuals won that first competition. And as you say, everyone had a great time. Casuals took about 80 fans from Tolwa. I say took, they 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 upped and came. 80-odd uh, fans with so incredible. And, and they were singing Champions of Europe after the, after <laughs> the game. Um, but, um, but yeah, so so we're hosting Corinthian Casuals, which is in Tolworth, southwest London, um, in Royal Borough of Kingston. Um, we're hosting the next one um on july 23rd 24th this year uh it's going to be fantastic like you say those teams sheffield fc the, the world's first football club and um they get invited to things like this all the time i contacted their football secretary stuart james um and i told him about the tournament and said you know would you be interested in playing in it because we'd love to have a second english team for the domestic interest and to have some fans from from one of the visiting teams that that, that were more accessible but also maybe from a region that that don't play Corinthian casuals regularly. Um, And uh, he sort of said, well, we get invited to tournaments quite a lot. Let me put this to the chairman uh, because we've been invited to Brazil and they've been invited somewhere else in the world, various places. And uh, within the same day, I got an email from him and he said, I spoke to the chairman and he said, his exact words were, tell Dominic it's on. (laughs) Ah, Brilliant. So I was like, yes, get in there. Um, but that was after we had secured um, the two international teams. Obviously, Bok coming is essential because they are the link to Herbstein. They're the original club he played for, and they were the first hosts. And um, Fall River Marksman, as you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, everyone loves that name. It's brilliant. The, the funny thing is that obviously Marksman, you immediately put in in mind of uh, snipers or something like that. But um, they were named after their first uh, president, who was called their first owner, was called Sam Mark. They were literally Mark's men amazing um, yeah yeah <laughs> so so they were they were mark's men um and um they they won i hope i've got this the right way around six league titles and four cups in the 20s and 30s so the and by a cup i mean the the cup the us open cup the fa cup equivalent um and they won the asl which was the msl uh mls equivalent of the time and the asl was was a huge league in the world. Um, they were tempting players from the Scottish top flight, from uh, Hungary, Austria, Czech, Czech, because of Latvian players were going out there, and they um, they just had the money in the ASL at the time to do that. So, um, so Full River Marksman were no mugs. They were a great team. They had uh, some some USA internationals that played in World Cups, and a bit like Bok, they just they dissolved. They went under because of the. Um, the franchise system out there the, they were moved to new york and became i think they became the new york giants or something and the um the whole thing went under after the when the depression hit anyway 
and uh, soccer didn't really survive in any meaningful way. But um, but yeah, so they were reformed around the same time as Bog and contacted us because they had a really similar story to Bog. They got in touch with with the, the club first. And then because we were planning this tournament, they said, look, we'll be willing to to stump up, to travel out there. They were they were so keen. So it's really exciting. Um, honestly, like the one the one biggest challenge and stress that I had ahead of the first tournament and this one is not knowing the different levels of the teams. I don't know whether, you know, one team's going to turn up and win 8-0 or they're going to draw every game and it's going to be, you know, a, a thimble difference between them or what. You just can't tell. It's one of the most exciting aspects of it, but it also terrifies you. <laughs> It, it, it is really good. Don, the way you sell this is phenomenal. I mean, I would literally buy anything for you. So don't, please don't get into double glazing. I can't, I can't afford it. Um, so 23rd, I, I mean, we were blessed with glorious weather in Budapest for the first tournament. Um, the fact that it's in the end of July, hopefully will be good here. Um, it looks like it's, it, there's something for everyone. There's something that people love, football, people that love history, food, Whatever it might be, there seems like you've got everything there set up in Tolworth ready for people. So on the 23rd of July on the Saturday, um, semi-final one and semi-final two, and then followed up on the on the following day on Sunday the 24th with um, third place playoff, then the final followed by the trophy. And tickets are ridiculously priced, Dominic. Um, Fifteen pound for the weekend is for an adult it is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. We wanted people to be able to access football, you know, like uh, pre-season is, is a time, especially for a non-league club, it's a time to say, like, come down and check your local team out. The fact that we've also got this international tournament on and there's four games over the course of the two days, it was a really good opportunity to showcase what Corinthian Casuals is as a club, but also to showcase the tournament because we don't know what this tournament could go on and become, you know. At the moment, it's it's great having it as a as a as a invitational fourteen pre-season tournament that we can have on an ad hoc basis and to have it biannually in a different country each time would be phenomenal. To bring in some other Herbstein related clubs would be brilliant. But to do that we need to really widen the uh, understanding of what it is and to, for more people to experience it. London's a perfect place for that. You mentioned Groundhoppers earlier, the non-league fan culture we've got here. And and I think there's also like, you know, people who who read the um the sort of in-depth football journals like the Blizzard or that read about the game from grassroots level and when Saturday comes and this will appeal to people like that as well so it's got a real it's got a real broad scope and and my hope is that by by pricing the tickets as we have 15 pound for the weekend 10 pound if you come for one day that's a way of saying come and see this for what it is and you know, it's it's different to just playing another pre-season game that weekend for all of these clubs. I and mean, you mentioned the semi-finals; that draw has been made. So that first game on the, the Saturday, the first semi-final, will be Corinthian Casuals v Fall River Marksman. And then for your Hungarian football listeners, Boca kicking off at four against the oldest club in the world, Sheffield FC. So you've got you know one-time Hungarian Cup finalists where who had Alfred Schaefer playing up front for them. The, the gold king of Hungarian football, um, Erbstein's first club. You know, this is this is a, a serious uh, historical occasion. They're playing against the first team in the world to uh, to exist. So, all very exciting. And uh, yeah, like I said, we've got a bit of food and everything lined up. We've got Caribbean normal normal burger fare, and uh, and we've got a nice cream van coming in. Especially who's promised us he's going to do 
um, chocolate and raspberry for the casuals colours, and he's going to he's working on a blue one for Bok. I, I it's sold. I, I'm sold. I mean, the fact there's football on is is, is a bonus for me actually, <laughs> Dom. Over this, um, Dom, what's the dream going forward? Uh, is it is it Turin? Yeah, yeah. I I have to say it's incredibly anxiety-inducing organising a tournament at this level because there is very little money in the game at this level and you are scraping around for everything. Um, so the idea of doing this on a regular basis terrifies me, especially as I'd love to write another book one day and concentrate on writing. However, if I had the opportunity to take this tournament to the Stadio Philadelphia in Turin, which was the ground that Torino played at in the days of Erbstein as manager, the Grande Torino played there, it was derelict for years and they recently renovated it and they use it as a training stadium for the first team and a youth uh, uh, stadium for the Primavera, the the youth team, the reserve team. If we could get the Egri Erbstein tournament to the Stadio Philadelphia in Turin, maybe have a Torino Primavera squad playing in it, that would be the ultimate dream. And, you know, then I would take all the stress in the world to to co-plan that with someone in Italy. Dom, I definitely can see that coming to fruition. Your passion for this is phenomenal, and I, I don't think you'll stop at anything to get there. Um, the website, agreeherbstein.org, um, obviously has details on there. You can purchase tickets through that website, I believe, as well, Dom. Yeah, you can. And there's great sort of coverage from the last tournament um, and, and everything about it. Um, where can we get the book these days, Dom? You can get the book. The best thing to do is to go to the Blizzard website and uh, it's available on the shop at the Blizzard website. Um, so you can still get it as a uh, an ebook on uh, Amazon as well, though. So if you look, if you read on Kindle, you can get it on Amazon. If you, want, if, you want the, if you want the physical book, the best place to get it is the Blizzard, who were the publishers, should add the Blizzard's website on their shop. Just just Google Herbstein Dominic Bliss and uh, you'll get it. The, um, the other place you can get it is actually in the Corinthian Casuals online store at casualsmegastore.co.uk. Absolutely fantastic. Tom, we're going to push this on all the uh, social media media channels that we have. Um, the link to the uh, to the website, etc., will be on the um, Majar Fossi Live um, Twitter account, so you can uh, link to it from there. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we're really, really looking forward to this, and uh, can't wait to see you there. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Tom. So that's it for this episode of the podcast and uh, we will catch you next time around. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and uh, keep listening to the podcast.